0: Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. Usually, when someone tells you that you're acting like a child, it's not a compliment. They may mean that you're acting immature or selfish or overly dramatic, but we all know that children are more than that. In fact, Even though our culture wants us to just grow up, Jesus tells us that the only way to enter heaven is to act like a child. In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright explores what childlike qualities Jesus may have been referring to and how they prepare us for God's kingdom. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us.
1: I invite you to turn in your word to Luke chapter 18. We're going to read just a few verses there. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. The scripture says, And they were bringing even babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these truly I say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all this is the word of God for the people of God thanks be to God again let us pray in these moments Lord may our hearts and our minds be open and attentive to you may the grace and power of your Holy Spirit be with me to speak words of your truth to speak them in simplicity, with grace, that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we receive and experience now, we give only to you the praise and the glory. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We are on our next to last stop in our journey through some Sunday School Revisited stories, now in the Gospels. um, It's been an an interesting journey, I've appreciated it, and as we get to the Gospels and we look to some things, it's really hard to decide what of the Gospels that you would bring forward because there are so many things about Jesus, His teachings, His ministry, the the stories around Jesus. I mean, we could go, go on for a long time, but I really just wanted to narrow it down to a few things that really kind of have become ingrained with us in our culture and the text today is very short, as you can tell, just three verses. Uh, th- this is a text that is very synoptic in nature. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell this; they they record it with very little variance, and so it's pretty much the same, regardless of which of those gospels you read. And and the the text is, is I, I would I would go so far as to say that maybe the text is not as familiar as the artistic renditions that have been handed down through the centuries. Few of us would have trouble in our minds recalling an artist's rendering of the text we read. Jesus standing with some children or perhaps even more familiar, Jesus seated with a child on his lap, a couple of other children standing near. It's just that picture that communicates to us something about Jesus and his personality that becomes a part of how we think of him, isn't it? Few of us would, would debate that Jesus loved kids, right? You know Jesus loved kids. He, he, he wanted children to be around him. But this text is more than just telling us that Jesus liked kids, which he, which he certainly did. Now, it might have been that had we only had verses 15 and 16 we could have gotten by with just saying, well, you know, uh, maybe it was just that the disciples thought he was too busy to to bother with children and that he was correcting them, saying, no, because the kingdom of God is for them as well. And so let them come uh, along with everybody else because the kingdom is open to whosoever would come. But Jesus goes beyond that. This is more than just about inclusivity with young children. Jesus goes so far as to communicate something that we really need to hear which is that there is something about children that makes them top tier candidates for the kingdom and he and he does us the disservice of not telling us what that is I'm kind of joking But the honest reality is, he doesn't expand on it, does he? He just says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And reflecting on that, I think we really ought to give this some serious attention. Because I suspect everyone worshiping with us right now has a desire to enter into the kingdom of God. It's interestingly ironic that in this life, for those of us who have become parents, we literally spend years trying to turn children into adults. Only to find, when we get to the Gospels, that Jesus put so much effort into turning adults into children. Ironic, isn't it? I realize that you might want to push back and say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Aren't we supposed to be becoming mature in our faith? Yes, which should lead us to some interesting conversations about what Christian maturity looks like. But, preacher, doesn't the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 say something like, when I became a man, I put away childish ways? Yes. But you have to understand that Jesus is not suggesting that we become juvenile delinquents. Surely there's a difference between being childish and being childlike. He's not trying to revert us to immaturity. He's trying to point us toward some qualities that Jesus sees in children. And he says, that's what makes you primed to experience the kingdom of God. So before we even think about what those qualities might be, I think it would be good first to spend a couple of minutes thinking about what Jesus might be talking about when he uses that term, the kingdom of God. It's one that shows up quite frequently in our scriptures. Uh, Very often using the entire phrase, kingdom of God, if you read in the Gospel of Matthew, that writer often prefers the term kingdom of heaven, which I would suggest don't, don't split hairs. It's just basically a writer's preference, if you will, Uh, Sometimes the scripture uses it in just talking about the kingdom. And it talks about it in a pretty diverse kind of way. And so when Jesus is talking here about entering into the kingdom of God, this is more than just, uh, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Which I know we all want to go to heaven when we die. Amen? Amen? Okay? I didn't hear a lot of amens out there. I'm worried about you now. I'm not getting a bus ready to go right now. I'm just talking about sometime in the future when the Lord calls you home. Hopefully you want to go to the place where Jesus is. But Jesus is talking about more than that. The kingdom of God is more than just going to heaven when we die. Let me share a few scriptures. You don't have to turn there necessarily unless you're really quick with your Bible. But you might write them down to look, look back. Let me share a few scriptures for your, uh, uh, for your receiving. Luke chapter 10 verses 8 and 9, this is Jesus talking with his disciples. He's, he's sending out some, the, the disciples into the towns around where he is and he says, quote, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. He even tells them shortly after that, if you go in a town and they don't receive you, go out into the streets and and you get that familiar, take take off your sandals and knock the dust off in protest against them. And even then you say to them, but the kingdom of God has come near. You see, there are manifestations of the kingdom even for us to experience in this life. It's not just about heaven when we die. It's about the kingdom coming near to us. Jesus went after John was in prison. Mark tells us this. Jesus went and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is at hand. It has come near to you in the ministry of Jesus Christ. So the kingdom is more than just what we experience after we die if we've been saved. It's something that we can experience here and now. Even if it's not in its fullness, the kingdom of God is for us to experience now. Colossians 1 verse 13, Paul writes, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. What do I notice about that passage? It's past tense writing. He rescued, past tense, already accomplished, right? rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. So for those of us who are in Christ, we are already kingdom people, right? We're not waiting to be kingdom people when we die. We are already kingdom people, which would suggest to me that we should be living in a kingdom paradigm. And yes, I'm very well, That you know, the old gospel hymn says, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, but nevertheless, we are already kingdom people, expected to live with kingdom values, expected to be kingdom manifestations. Again, what, what am I saying? That the kingdom of God is something that we can experience in the here and now. A couple of others I want to throw in. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. The writer says, For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And there are a lot of texts like that. This is just one as an example. that simply remind us that the kingdom of God is not something that all of us are going to fall into by default. Let me put it another way. You can miss the kingdom... You can miss the kingdom in this life, and you can miss the kingdom in the afterlife. We should, add, we should take seriously those warnings, okay? The fact is, you can miss the kingdom. We don't want to miss it. One more text, Romans 14, verse 17. Paul is talking about, this is the kind of the practical section of... Um, of Romans. And Paul says in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What he's been talking about here is, is in, in Christ we had these freedoms. We're not restricted to all these dietary laws and <clears throat> a lot of the legalism that came with the Old Covenant. Paul says you're free from that, but you can't use your freedom to make another stumble. It's, it's not about enjoying all of the freedoms that you have in Christ, even though God gives us all these things in which that we should be enjoying. But the kingdom is not just about enjoying those things. The kingdom of, of God is about a relational experience, being in right relationship with God, and therefore being in right relationship with one another. It's an economy in which things are the way that God would have them. The kingdom of God is about the reign of Christ. It's about the paradigm of God being carried out. And we can have that and we can experience that in our life now. The question is, will we? The question is, to what extent will we experience the kingdom of God as we're journeying through these days? So go back, go back to what Jesus said. Unless you become like a child, unless you enter like a child, you will not experience, you will not enter the kingdom of God. There is something about children that makes us ready and primed to experience God's kingdom. The question is, what is it? Recognizing that Jesus did not expand upon this, thank you, Jesus. I I do want to say to you that my heart is modest in this. I I do want to go a few places to maybe suggest what what we see in Scripture as things that, that God and Jesus commend, but I want to do it modestly because, like I said, Jesus didn't expand on this. And so just, these are just kind of suggestions of how we might understand what Jesus is talking about when he says, be like a child. I also want to just point out that when we speak about gen- children in generalities, it, it, it takes us about half a second to think of the exceptions to the general statement, doesn't it? For instance, if I were to say to you that children are honest, you would immediately say, well, children tell lies all the time. Yes, they do. You see, we can be quick to find the exceptions to the general statements. I, I recognize that. But there are still probably some qualities about being childlike that we might want to observe. So how is it that Jesus might have been thinking about childlikeness? Let me share a few quotes out of the scripture. This one will take you back to our Bible trivia, if you were here early enough to, um, uh, to have experienced that. The words of Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 47, when he says about Nathanael, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Some Bible translations would say deceit. That's what guile is. It's cunning, deceitfulness, underhandedness. And, and Jesus looked at Nathaniel and said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And I just wonder if somehow Jesus, who, who had that ability to know the heart of every man and woman, looked at Nathaniel and said, you know, I just don't find this quality in you. That's wonderful. Adults are very much not like that. Have you ever been asked a question that had a hook in it? I bet you have. I was visiting uh, an older man and woman in the first church I served. I hadn't been there very long, and I was going out to see some people, and I hadn't been in this home very long and I was sitting there with them and the man kind of leans up and he says, let me ask you a question. I'm not going to tell you what the question is because then your mind is going to chase the question rather than staying on task. You know, you can tell by a person's tone in, in his voice and body language that the question they're asking you is really not the question they're asking you. And I knew that that question that he asked me was really not the question he was asking me. He didn't want an honest answer. He was trying to feel out my theology. We had a nice conversation afterward. you understand what I mean? So often, the questions that we have are not honest questions. So often, people have agendas. The questions they have for you have hooks in them. They, they come to you in one way, but what they're really trying to accomplish is something else, and they don't want to show their hand. This is, I, am I the only one who understands this? Surely not. This is the way that adults often work. Tell me I'm not telling you the truth. Okay? Children? Eh, and I know, yes, you can, you can find scheming children. I'm not saying that you can't. But so much more regularly, children have questions that are just honest questions. I think Jesus loves honest curiosity. People who will come to you with questions about God now, oftentimes really don't want answers to those questions. They're just trying to trip you up. And Jesus faced those questions all the time. You can look through the Gospels and you'll find those occasions when people came to Jesus and they asked him a question, but Jesus knew that they really didn't want an answer to the question. They had another motive in mind. And he handled them masterfully. But then there are those other occasions when when people came to him in honesty, honest curiosity, honest questions. They really wanted to seek an answer. They really wanted to know the truth about God. And Jesus handled them with honesty. Sometimes the answers weren't really what, you know, I mean, they were tough to hear. Like, if you look a little bit further in Luke chapter 18, you'll find... Uh, that passage that we call, you know, when, when Jesus is dealing with the one that we call the rich young ruler who comes to him and says, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's really the same kind of question that Jesus is talking about, entering the kingdom of God. And after the first response that Jesus gives him, the, he, the guy pressed him a little further, and, and Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions, give, them, give the proceeds to the poor, and then come back and follow me. Why did Jesus say that? It it was an honest response to the guy's honest question. It's just that Jesus understood there's one thing that's keeping you from being free enough to follow, and it's your wealth. It's not that Jesus has anything against wealth. He certainly didn't. He had something against wealth binding people, which is exactly what he saw in that man. He said, this is what you need to go do. When Jesus was asked honest questions... Jesus gave honest answers. I mean, he always gave honest answers. Jesus loves honest curiosity. And I think when we come to him like that, he embraces it. Jesus is not afraid of questions, but he wants us to be honest with them, Honest because we are seeking. You know what Hebrews eleven six 6 says? That without faith it is impossible, impossible to please God because those who would draw near to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And it's that last part I want you to hear. He, he rewards those who seek him. He doesn't hide himself. He doesn't run from you. For those who seek him genuinely, God rewards. He says, seek and you'll find, and you will. Honest curiosity childlike quality god embraces it here's another one out of the mouths of babes have you heard that phrase before did you ever wonder where we get it it comes right out of the bible it, turn with me if you would i'll just i'll have you look at this matthew chapter 21 you don't have to turn very far back in your scripture matthew 21 this is the last week of Jesus' life. He's already had the triumphal entry. He's come into town. Uh, things are really starting to ramp up. The, the opposition to Jesus is, is really going strong. And there's a little passage here in, in Matthew 21 from ver- verses 15 and 16. Uh, they're in the temple. Um, people have been seeing all the great things that Jesus is doing Verse 15 says, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. You always wonder what the tone of Jesus' voice must have been. (laughs) Yep, I hear them. Yes. Have you never read... Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself. He quotes Psalm 8, verse 2. And in so doing, probably adds a little understanding to that verse. You see, these these religious leaders were were all bent out of shape. And you never know when there might have been a little adult elitism, you know... I don't want to break the news to you, but not every adult likes kids. Okay? I do. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't. I love kids. There might have been a little bit of that, I can't stand these kids running around. But what, what the real issue was, was not that these children were offering praise. It's that they were offering praise to him. And Jesus' response to them was, yes, and what you need to understand is what you're hearing from the mouths of those children is God-ordained. You see, that's genuine praise. Genuine praise. Children are so free to worship in a genuine fashion. And I wonder if it's something that gets cloudy for us as we become adults. We get, we get trapped in so many things. You could look, I'll recommend we won't go there, but if you look in Mark chapter 7, beginning at the first of the chapter, there's a, there's a passage there in which it talks about how... Um, the, the, the Jews at that time got uh, so tied up in so many of the regulations about clean utensils and, and all the things that had to be done in, or, in order so that worship would be offered in a proper fashion. And Jesus responded to that by, again, quoting Scripture, this time out of Isaiah, when God says of his people that this people worships me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me that was not a compliment he says of his people their worship is only right here it has nothing down here where it counts and here we are in the 21st century with with such a tendency to look back on that and say well yes we can we can criticize all those religious people because they got so tied up in the trappings that they weren't really worshiping in a right way, like we do. As if we don't make the same mistake. You know we do. Because we will look back at worship experiences and we will say, well, that, re- that, that wasn't really worship music, was it? And I'm not even going to tell you what style of worship we're talking about. You can fill in the blank. Or, you know, those people, they weren't really worshiping because, you know, I just didn't see an honest expression on that worship leader's face. I mean, they weren't really worshiping. Or they weren't really worshiping because they weren't shouting and standing up and running all over the place. Or, you know, we could go on and on naming the ways that we make the same mistake they did. It's just just different. You see, we want to define what right worship looks like rather than just simply saying that worship that is acceptable and pleasing in the sight of God is nothing more than just genuine. It's just genuine. It is heartfelt. It is heart-centered. It doesn't have to be overly expressive. It doesn't have to fit into some kind of definition that we put upon it. It just has to be something that, that, that starts with the ability to recognize that this one named Jesus is praiseworthy and then respond to that praiseworthiness. You may do it in a boisterous way. You may do it in an introspective way, but when you do it, it's genuine. And when Jesus sees genuine worship, he looks and says, That's it right there. That's what's acceptable in the sight of God. And I wonder about the many ways that we lose that as adults. When you and I come into a place like this, when you and I come into a time like this, there is one thing that God wants. To just be genuine before Him. And to praise Him. Honest curiosity, genuine praise. Thirdly, have you heard this phrase before? Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Does that sound pretty familiar? You think, well, oh, where have I heard that in Scripture before? Well, there are a number of places you could have heard that. Now, I took that quote right out of Luke chapter 18. You wouldn't have to look very far forward from where we read earlier. Then you would come across a blind man whose name was what? You know, blind... Come on, you all. His name started with a B. Son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, he's sitting beside the road, Jesus goes walking by and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, and they try to make him be quiet. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you, be quiet, and he just cries out all the louder. But you know those words come, th- th- those, that kind of cry comes from different places, um, in Matthew chapter 15, there's a Canaanite woman who comes and says, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. She's coming to him with a request for her daughter who is ill. In Matthew chapter 17, there's a, a, a father who comes on behalf of his son and says, Have mercy on my son. And we even find in the beginning verses of Luke chapter 18 that Jesus talks about two men who went to a temple to pray. And one of them was a tax gatherer. And Do you remember what his prayer was? God be merciful to me, a sinner. It's all the same kind of plea, isn't it? And, and you see, whether it's a, 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 a plea for physical wholeness or a prayer for forgiveness, it's the kind of request to which God always responds. It is a recognition of need. We even visited it last week when we uh, talked about Zacchaeus. Remember the tax gatherer who climbed the tree so he could see Jesus? And he didn't really use words like this, but you can tell by his actions and his response, the, the fruit of his repentance, he recognized in God his need, a need for mercy, a need for Jesus, a need for forgiveness and again i wonder if that's something that gets lost when we get when we get out of childhood and into adulthood yes you will find children who want to be independent they want to, i want to do it by myself and no children never like it when they get caught doing something wrong but usually if you present it to them they own it they know right even if they, you say now you go say i'm sorry They don't like to say, I'm sorry, but they know they've done wrong. What is it about being an adult that makes us slow to confess our need? Is it because we are so independent and we don't want want to lose that independence? Is it because we have a reputation to uphold, and we, want, we don't want our reputation to be tarnished by the notion that maybe we did something wrong. And Jesus says, you have to come like a child. Because a child is quick to recognize that they have a need. And that's how they come. It is so interesting to me that we strive so much in life to become adults and then Jesus works so hard to make us like children again so that we can experience the kingdom of God. How much kingdom blessing do we miss because we do not allow the Holy Spirit to change us so that we have and embrace and become full of those childlike qualities that prime us to experience the kingdom of God here and now. I have a question for you this morning. I realize it's going to sound odd, but I hope you understand what I mean by this would you fit in Jesus lap this morning you remember that picture of Jesus where he's seated with the child in his lap it is a picture of what he taught let these come to me the kingdom belongs to people such as these And I wonder if we have, in many ways, become too big to fit into Jesus' lap. That's where he wants you this morning, to recognize your need and to come to him in honesty. And I pray that you'll do that because he reaches out to you and he wants you to know the kingdom blessing today. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you use the foolish to confound the wise, you use the weak to confound the strong, and that you used children to show us the kind of people who are ready to enter your kingdom. Father, I know that in so many ways that we we lose that. God, I, help, I, hope, I just pray that you will help us to regain those things, those, those qualities that really do prime us to encounter you this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to let go of pride, help us to be humble, help us to put aside reservations that we might have That might keep us from running into your arms today. God, I know that you desire so much to take us and to hold us, to hug us, and to love us. And I know, God, that it would only be our unwillingness that would keep us from knowing that blessing today. Help us to let go. Help us to be like those children that you embrace. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
0: We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.